Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're here and love to watch the conversations, people connecting. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter. We'll be finishing up 2 Peter today. And um, we might take one week next week to do a message and then uh, kick off on Deuteronomy. So if you haven't read through the book of Deuteronomy yet, you can start doing that. We're going to be covering that throughout the whole summer. Uh, and so uh, be ready. Um, 2 Peter, we've looked at it over the last several weeks. Um, and as we've talked through 2 Peter, it's the knowledge of. You see Peter say this all the way through the book. The knowledge of, and specifically, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's kind of what Peter wrote this letter for. He wrote it to Christians who were being persecuted um, to encourage them. He wrote it to Christians who were being deceived by false teachers and false prophets. And they were being pulled away from the church. And so he was concerned for them. And he wrote them another letter after the first one to kind of have a conversation with them about how the knowledge about Jesus looks. What should it look like if you, if you know him? And we've looked at that over the last several weeks. Today I want us to look at what it means as we wrap up the book. The knowledge of grow in grace. Grow in grace. Because that's really the New Testament. It's actually the whole Bible. Most people think that you can separate the Bible into the Old Testament, which was about the law, and the New Testament, which is about grace. That's actually false. That's not true. It's always been God's grace. God didn't have to create you. He didn't have to create humans. He was just happy being God. He was. He had a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They loved each other. They had their own family. They didn't need other families messing up their family, right? And he chose to create mankind knowing how we were going to be. Knowing what we were going to do, knowing the mess that we would create, he still chose to create us. And then he asked us to choose. You see, that, that's the essence of relationship. And so from the beginning, it's been about God's gift, his gift of grace, of life. It's always been about that. And when he gives us the law in the Old Testament, and when Peter's writing to talk to the church, to encourage them to look back at the scriptures, he's saying the law is God's grace to you. It's not a burden. It's something, we're going to look at that in a minute, and what First John says, that, that the Lord's commands are not burdensome. But if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, oftentimes when I read scripture, I find it very burdensome. Like, overwhelming. Like, how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to grow in this grace that, that God has now, the Bible says, given us a full display? Peter says this in his first and second letters, that, that through a relationship in the person of Jesus Christ, we see his grace on full display. In the Old Testament, when you read Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, and it talks about faith, and then it talks about the heroes of the faith, it says they were all saved by faith. By faith. It was by grace through their faith that they were saved. That's how they got saved. It, it was because they placed their faith not in their own lives, their own ability, but saying, God, I believe you could do this. It even says about Abraham in Hebrews. It says, Abraham said that he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because he believed God could raise him from the dead. Why? Because he'd seen somebody come back from the dead before? Nope. The only person you, you saw was like the first person we read about in the Bible coming back from the dead is, is Elijah the prophet who brings back someone back from the dead. That's a long time later. And so see, 
What, what you have here is we have to understand what it means to grow in grace. Because here's where we sit today. We sit in a culture, especially a Christian culture, that says, you have grace, thus you're fine. And we don't discuss, well, okay, great, I have this, but, but do I have it? And, and if I do have it, what does it look like to grow in it? Because here's the truth that Scripture lays out. You're growing no matter what, right? You're growing all the time. You're growing. Your cartilage in your ears, they're growing. When you're old, you're going to have big old ears because your cartilage keeps growing. Same with your nose. You just keep growing. You don't want it to grow. You try to stop it to grow. You can try, get surgery. It'll just keep growing if you live longer. Like, you don't get to stay in one place according to Scripture. You're either growing into grace, into eternity, into a relationship with God forever, or you're moving away from him. You can't stay stagnant. And that's what Peter's writing at the end of his book. And if you remember the beginning, here's how Peter kind of started this book. He said, hey, look, I'm Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have uh, obtained a faith, obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He says it's faith and it's righteousness and God has provided it and we respond to it. And then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Multiplied. Not just, like he wants it to be multiplied to us. And then he goes on and he says, through the knowledge of God and our Lord, or Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It was all about him. He didn't have to call us. He didn't have to send Christ on our behalf. He didn't have to do any of that. He did it because he wanted to show off that he's God. And he wanted to show us how good he is. And then he says, by these things, he's given us very great and precious promises. And can I just tell you, there are so many words in this first few verses that we've looked at. Every week I've read these verses, the last several weeks. There's so many words that we have so twisted up today. What is right? What is righteousness? What's right? Good luck. Our world has no idea what's right. There are believers who just decide what's right because I feel that way and because I had an experience and so my experience confirms that it's right because it worked out. And so if it worked out, it must be right. No. We're going to look at that when we look at the end of 2 Peter. Peter says, no, that's not the case. God's just really patient with you. He didn't smite you with a lightning bolt. Like, I love that Peter's laying this out. We look at the words like faith, and that gets a bad rap today. That it's this idea that it's faith without knowledge. You just believe, and you don't have to know or seek or try. That's not biblical anywhere in Scripture. Anywhere. You look at these words like grace and peace. You realize that when he's saying grace and peace, and I said this a few weeks ago, when he says peace, they're being murdered. They're being murdered. It's not like they're losing their jobs. They can't pay their bills. You know, it's, it's kind of hard because they're in debt. They're being killed, slaughtered. Their children are being put in front of them and said, if you don't recount this belief, this faith you have in Jesus, I'm going to kill your son right now. Go. And they're having to make a decision. Like, so when he says, and then goodness, goodness, they're being killed. They're being slaughtered, and he's saying, 
God's goodness is still here. Where is God's goodness? I don't see it. Power. Where is God's power? I don't see it. And Peter's writing this letter and he's saying, as you read through this, if you understand who Jesus is, you get this. Because when Jesus came, he lived a simple life. He died to his human flesh himself laid down his life for others, was resurrected, and then left to say, you need to do the same thing because you don't have heaven yet. I'll bring it to you when I'm ready. We don't get to claim heaven now. We have to wait, Peter says. And we looked at that last week. Here's what Peter says in verse 13. But based on his promise, this is 313. 2 Peter 313. But based on his promise, what promise? Well, he just got done talking about the promise of eternal life, the promise of judgment. Based on the promise that Christ is going to come back, that he will come back and make his way on this earth, there's going to be a fiery judgment. There was a water judgment first. Peter just talked about that. Based on the promise that the world's coming to an end, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. In other words, you live in an, in an earth and a place now where righteousness doesn't dwell. It doesn't dwell here. It, it, it has to be on the run here. It doesn't get to like set up shop and it goes well. If you try to live a righteous life, you're going to be on the run most likely a lot of times. You're going, as Jesus said, you will be persecuted. Like he promises that in the Beatitudes. Paul talks about that. Anyone who desires to live a a righteous life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted on some level. Now, do we make persecution? Oftentimes, we make persecution like this thing that we're experiencing when really we're just experiencing inconvenience, right? Oh, I'm being persecuted. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're just stupid. <laughs> maybe you did something really dumb. Maybe you're just being inconvenienced, right? That, that's not, that is not persecution. That's just normal life. And he looks and he says, look, you live in a place where it's not natural for things to go right. Let me say that again. We live in a place where it's not normal, not natural for things to go right. And yet everything we're promised and told is we can make it right. Humanity can do this. We don't need the grace of God. We don't need to cry out to him. We can make it happen. Now, is there a truth? We're going to look at that. Peter says, yeah, there's a part that we play in God's grace and we're to grow in it. But he says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait, we love waiting, don't we? Right? You love to wait? I don't. I'll be honest. Waiting is like, and there's a way to wait in Scripture. Right? There's a way to wait in faith growing towards the destination and there's a way to wait and just be bitter and angry and frustrated and hate your life. And Peter says, while you wait, knowing the promises that await you, those things make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Without spot or blemish. My son came home last night. I'm going to tell a story. I didn't even ask his permission, but he was laughing about it and told us. And he went out to eat last night with a, one of the campus, uh, high school campus pastors. They 
went and grabbed some dinner. Anyway, they're, uh, they're there, and, and the, the campus pastor looked at him and says, dude, you're wearing your nice white dress shirt. That's a bad idea. You're eating a, you're eating a sub sandwich. Like, like, he looked right, and my son, he's just like me. I'll be fine. It'll be okay. I tell Susan that all the time. She doesn't believe me. She tells me to go change now, and I just listen to her and do it. Because I think, oh, I'll just do this real quick. I won't get anything. Oh, no. And then I got it on me. So now I have my hobo clothes and my good clothes. I have no in-between clothes. Like I have just not trash them or I got good clothes, right? And so, so my son gets it honestly. And so he's eating and all of a sudden, man, meat, he said a meatball popped out. And, and I mean, it hit all the way down. I mean, it wasn't like hit and bounce off. It was like all the way down. And I'm, he walks in, he's just smiling. Like he's... Guess what I did? And he's like, and I'm just shaking. We're both like, oh, man. And he's like, I think I ruined it. And, and Susan's like, nah, we'll soak it. No, it, it, we'll, we'll soak it. We'll get it out of there. We'll, we'll work on it. Like, he recognized the spot and the blemish, and it wasn't, are you ready for this? He didn't come home afraid of us. He didn't come home scared to death that he messed up, that he didn't heed the warning of the minister. He came and just admitted it and said, I, I think I ruined this. I'm sorry. I, I'm awful. That's re it's saying, hey, and hopefully he'll then practice, now that he has grace, he'll practice repentance next time, right? Which is you had an undershirt on, strip the outer shirt, eat your undershirt, right? Because if you get everything on your undershirt, it doesn't matter. You're putting the shirt on over it, Right? Do you have those shirts? I have. If, I, if I'm ever out somewhere and you see me and, and I won't take my outer shirt off, you know, because I'm doing it's because the one underneath it has so many stains and holes that I don't want you to know. I'm just telling you. Like, it looks like there's a good collar, but there's nothing else there. It's pretty bad underneath. You see, he says we can be, look, you can have spots and blemishes and come to him to find peace. You can come to him to confess and to repent. It's both and. It's both saying, I can't get out of this, but I have the ability because of your power, which we'll look at in a second, to get out of it. He goes on, he says, also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Don't regard the patience of God as in he's happy, that everything's going fine, that I don't need to check in with him and check into his word, and I don't need to grow in grace because I've got it all. I've got everything. He loves me. I'm so awesome. Be careful that you don't become prideful lest you fall, the Bible says. And he, he says there, and he goes, look, when you see that God is patient with you, like say thank you for salvation. Thank you you're patient with me right now. Thank you that I have the promise of salvation and I can be patient and wait because I know that promise, and I can be faithful to serve you. And then he goes on and he says, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. Peter admits, he goes, look, and this is crazy because what Peter is saying is Paul's letters carry the same weight as mine. His letters are the word of God just as much in mine. And there is a foot in our culture today, especially Western culture, to say that Paul's letters don't mean as much. Jesus' words, oh, those, the red words, those mean a lot. And Peter, who was really close to Jesus, but we got to be careful with Paul. We got to be careful with what Paul said. 
And there's a movement afoot that undermines this. And Peter, at this time, knows that's happening in his own day. They're looking and saying, well, Paul wasn't one of the original 12. He, he just came along later. How can we trust him? He was a Pharisee. I mean, he was a, I'm not sure if we can believe Paul's. I mean, he and Peter have fought like multiple times. Like Paul had to leave the mission field to fight with Peter twice and get the church. Like Peter says, Paul's written these things to you. We're saying the exact same thing. The words I speak and the words he speaks are the word of God. You can trust them. You can stake your life on them. He says, now some of them are hard to understand. It's hard to understand how the law of the Old Testament and grace fit together. It takes a lot of growth. It takes you growing in grace to understand the commands and to understand which commands have been fulfilled in Jesus. We don't sacrifice lambs here Sunday morning. I don't have an altar burning with a you know, smoker going out the back. and we're gonna, I, I don't do that. Why? Christ's sacrifice fulfilled all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But does that mean I don't need to know about that? No, I need to know it and then be like, wow, his grace is so much better than sacrificing thousands of animals needlessly. Like, wow, it should overwhelm me. It should cause me to respond in even greater obedience. And then he says, the untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they do with the rest of scriptures. Can I just tell you how easy it is to twist Scripture? It's easy to do. There are things that I, back in a few instances, that I had to apologize for, for, for things that I said. I remember one time I was preaching, and I, I had read something, and I didn't check it. I didn't check the commentary. I didn't check who said it, which a lot of people do today, right? We have all these blogs, and people get on a blog. They'll listen to the person that's there. They don't ask where did, who are they married to? What's their life like? What's their theology? What? No, it's like, oh, this is a good word. Who's saying it? Peter's saying, I've said it and Paul said it, and we've backed it up by giving our lives. What about this guy? What, what has he done? And we don't check it. And I remember I was preaching one time, and I talked about the fact that, that Satan and Santa Claus, like, like they're the same root word. I didn't check it. And I'll never forget, my pastor at the time came up to me, he goes, they aren't the same root word. He goes, I thought about calling you out in the middle of service, but I had grace on you. And the next Sunday, I was leading worship. I preached that Sunday. I led worship the next Sunday. I apologize to the congregation. Hey, I said something that wasn't right. I just, I read some guy online. I read it and it wasn't, I listened to him and I didn't check it. My bad. It happens. It's easy to do. It's easy to have our ears tickled towards something and be like, oh, look, I get to present this and go, well, no, you didn't present it properly. You see, and, and we can be, we got to be very careful. It's one of the reasons why we try to preach through scripture, like through the Bible is because I want to be careful to go to the scriptures and lay them out, not jump all around. And then I want to make a point. So I go grab something. Can you do that? Absolutely. You can preach that way. It's called systematic preaching, right? You can systematically look at topics in the Bible and go through them. But you got to be real careful when you do that, that you're not making up your own stuff to fit a point. Real careful. And he said, look, there are people who are untaught and unstable. 
They, they have issues in their life. They're just not stable. They, they don't live by the commands of God. They don't live on the foundational principles of Scripture. And so they're unstable and you're listening to them. And you don't realize that you're building on their foundation and it's going to crumble. Be careful. That's what Peter's talking about, the untaught. There are those that they want to be teachers, but they've never sat under teaching. They don't want to be under, they want to be over. He's like, be careful of those folks. Just, just be careful. I mean, I'm amazed at how many non-denominational churches have exploded around the world and around the United States, especially in the West. And I'm always amazed because what you see happening, non-denominational churches, and I'm not criticizing them, hear me out. I'm just making a statement here for you to think about. Non-denominational churches really took off in the 80s and 90s. That's when it like took off. It was pushing away from denominations and, and pushing away from the table. And there may have been good reasons for that because denominations were going crazy at that time. Our own denomination in our own seminaries had to fight to take back our seminaries because they weren't teaching biblically. Like we had to go through that. It was rough as a denomination. So I'm not blaming those non-denominationals, but here's the thing that, that, that amazes me. What you find now is all the non-denominationals are organizing to be denominations. They just call them networks. Well, we're a network. It's the same thing as a denomination. You agree to cooperate on some basic things and network together. That's what we've been doing as Southern Baptists since our founding. We have a simple doctrinal statement and we network together to do missions all over the world. Have we gotten it wrong in the past? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like our family's gotten it wrong. Just like everybody gets it wrong at times. And we go down roads we shouldn't. But what I, when you look at this, it's like be careful that you're not twisting the scriptures and you don't even know that you're doing it and you're destroying lives. You're destroying lives. He says be careful because... There are people out there that they're going to do this. It goes on in 1 John 5.1 with this tension between grace and growing in grace and the law. This is what 1 John 5.1 says. John, one of the apostles. So this is Peter and John, two of the apostles. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. Which commands? Have you ever asked that question? Which commands? There are over 600 in the Old Testament. Do you, know, do you even know them? <laughs> like if you read through them, do you even know what they are? Most Christians don't. They've never even read what the commands are, much less what we read earlier, struggle with them to find out what they're supposed to obey. They just take grace and go, I'm good, and go out the back door because that's what they've been taught by untaught and unstable people. And you look at this and he says, look, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. He repeats himself. Look, whenever I repeat myself in my home or my wife repeats herself in her, our home, there's a reason for it. You want to know why? Anybody? Anybody? Because I know you're not listening, so I'm going to repeat it <laughs> over and over because you're not listening. In Peter and John's day, there were people saying, we have grace, so we're good. We don't have to, do, we don't have to even believe, we don't have to know what the Old Testament says. We can just live life now because we got heaven waiting, so let's live it. Let's just live it up. He goes on and he says, 
Now his commands, look at this, are not a burden. They're not a burden. You see, the, the children of Israel, when we look in Deuteronomy over the, this summer, the children of Israel could never get to the place where they were grateful for the commands of God. That was their problem. They could never get to a place where they saw God's commands as loving and kind and gracious and caring because he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. He wants us to have fruit in our, our hearts and in the lives of other people. You realize that when he called his people out of Egypt, they didn't have a clue what to do. They were going into a land where they didn't know what to do. They were in Egypt where they were told what to do as slaves and they didn't have an option. And now they have freedom and God says, I, I have freed you, but I've got to give you some guidelines because if I don't, with your freedom, it's going to equal bad. Because I've given people freedom before. They chose not to do what I asked them to do. And so he gives these commands. If you read the Psalms, David says, I love your statutes. I love your commands. Was David a sinner? Did he disobey? Absolutely. He was not without spot or blemish, but he kept coming back to the commands of God. He never said, I don't, I don't need those. I don't care about those. I've got grace. It doesn't matter. Never. And he always longed for heaven. David, when you read the Psalms, was constantly longing because he knew, I got to get out of this body. This body, I am fighting every day. And I'm ready to get out of it. But I'm not going to take my own life. I'm going to live in it and I'm going to call others to live in their bodies to glorify God, to make him known with every dying breath they have. See, that's what he's writing. And look at this. He says, because whatever is born of God conquers the world. Whatever is born of God. Jesus conquered the world. He came back to life. He's going to come back to conquer. That's the precious promise that we have. And so if we know that that's what being born of God, if that, that's God's son, then if we put our faith in him, then it's like, man, I want to be ready when he comes. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Our faith. See, faith is easy when things are going well, right? Face a piece of cake when things are cooking along. Face easy when you're not in the midst of sin. Oh, that's easy. Faith is hard when you actually have to exercise it, right? It's like your body. Your body's cooking along, there's no problems, and then all of a sudden, the aches and the pains and the knees and all the problems, and the doctor looks at you and goes, uh, you probably need to lose some weight, start eating better, you got to do these, and you're like, I'm just going to have faith that it's going to happen. God's going to heal me and I'm going to feel better. You know, like it's just, it's just going to miraculously happen. I'm going to have faith. And the doctor's like, that? Yes, have faith. And also have movement. <laughs> like have discipline too to go with your faith. Like do both. It'll be great. Like we can do this together. I'll call you. <laughs> How you doing? In your faith. <laughs> He goes on and he says, and who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It starts with believing that the only way to salvation is through God's Savior. That's how it starts. There's no way to be saved except by God and through his Savior. Then he goes on, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. This is the third time he said this. Third time. He goes on and he says, I will ask the Father, or this is John 14, sorry. 
So John 14, 15. So that was 1 John. In 14, 15, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. So we looked at Peter's words. We looked at Paul's words. We have looked at John in 1 John, his letter. And now we're going to look at Jesus' words to us. Multiple people. Jesus says, this is towards the end of his life. He knows what's going to happen. He's not talking about Israel here. He's talking about all humanity. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And, and can you just hear him in that moment? You go, oh, I don't love you then. I struggle, right? Like, I, I don't keep all your commands. There's a lot of them. At this time, he hadn't died yet. There were a lot of them. He says, look at this. And he knows this is what you and I are thinking. He knows that you and I are thinking, how am I going to do that? I haven't been successful doing that in 25 years, 30 years for these, these apostles. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. There's going to be a new way of doing this that's never happened before. See, before there was a distance between God and man. Because of the garden, because of the curse of sin, there was a veil, the holy of holies you couldn't go into, that you had to make sacrifices and, and trust that someday you get to the holy of holies, but never, never until God made a way. And when Christ became the final sacrifice, the veil tore in two, and finally the Holy Spirit was unleashed, and Jesus said, now the temple is going to be the human heart. Listen, they took very careful care to make sure the temple was clean. Very careful care. If you were a high priest and went into the Holy of Holies and you were not clean, you might be struck dead. That's why they tied bells around your tunic and they tied a rope to your foot. So when the bells stopped ringing, they would pull to see if you rung back <laughs> while you were in there. That's holy. Wow. He goes on and he says this. I love this. He is the spirit of what? Truth. He's going to speak the truth to you. He's going to give you the word of God in truth, which is why Peter, John, and Paul, when they write, they're writing empowered by the Holy Spirit, giving the truths of God, just like Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of them. And he said, look at this, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. That, that would have freaked a Jew out. An Israelite right then would have been like, whoa, I don't want him in me. Like, I don't want that. I, I, that's too close. Distance, please. And then he goes on, look at this. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. He knows he's getting ready to die, which is why he's telling them this. This is his final teachings. And he looks and he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You think I'm just going to leave and that's it. Now you've got to survive in the world. I'm not. I'm going to come back to you after I'm resurrected. Then I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to come back to you. I will not leave you. And then he says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one 
who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. And look who responds to this teaching. The first one to speak up is who? Judas, the betrayer. Oh, I'm sorry, the other Judas, not the betrayer. This is Judas Iscariot. So, not Iscariot, sorry. The first one to speak up is Judas, not Iscariot. I misread, like Satan and Santa. So thank you for your faces to me to say, Matt, you're wrong. Appreciate that. Said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? I love this. He says, I don't get this. How, how are we going to see it and the rest of the world isn't going to see it? Because all these guys are expecting what? World domination. They're expecting Christ to come into Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans. They're going to sit on thrones with him and judge the world. And they're like, here we go. And he looks and he goes, yeah, the world's not even going to recognize me. And they're like, like, are you just going to like smite them? Like they're just going to disappear? Like shoo, shoo. So they don't even see you coming? Wow, that's really powerful. Like you're just like zapping them. Like I can't wait. No, he's like, they're not going to see it because they don't want to see the truth. They don't want to see the truth that's been revealed to them. The Bible says that all of creation reveals the truth about Jesus. All of creation cries out what's true and what's good and what's right about God. And so he's like, I don't get how you're going to do this. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. (laughs) He doesn't even answer him. (laughs) Like, Like, Jesus is repeating himself. He jumps in to ask this question, like, explain this to me. And Jesus is like, let's get back on topic, children. And he gets back, like, and he goes, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. It's simple how this is going to work. You'll love my word. And if you love my word, then you're not going to worry about what the world thinks or doesn't. You're just going to be so enthralled with me. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. He's like, it's from the Father who sent me that I give you these words. I'm not making this stuff up. He goes on and he says, I've spoken these things to you. Look at this. While I remain with you. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. You know, that's comforting, and it's true that God's, Jesus sent the counselor, the Holy Spirit. But how many times have you heard that people make claims in the Spirit, right? Well, the Spirit told me. I just feel led by the Spirit. And it's like if you throw that out there, you, you're not allowed to argue with it, right? Like if someone looks at you and says, man, I prayed about this, and I read the Bible, and I feel led by the Spirit. And you're like, oh, well then... By all means, blow somebody up. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I can't argue with that then. Like, no, we need to look and check the spirits in other places of the scripture and say, okay, what does the counsel of the Holy Spirit counsel people to? Peter just said it. John just said it. He counseled them to wait patiently for his return and to lay down their lives and prepare for it to surrender themselves, to know that this isn't going to be the life I want. I'm going to always long for the ultimate life, and that's okay. He says, that's what the counselor is going to tell you. 
He's going to come into your life and tell you this. I'm with you. You can come to me, stained shirt and all. But know that we're going to have a conversation about how to grow. And there's got to be changes. And if there aren't, then you need to question, do you really know me? Do you really love me? Listen, if you apologize and don't change, that's manipulation. If you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and you don't change, you're manipulating. I've done it. I do it. An apology comes with, I'm sorry, I need to change. See, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is, I got nothing. Change me. I want to change. I'll participate with you in changing me, whatever the cost. That's why Jesus said, if, you're, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for your hand to be cut off than for you to perish. That's harsh. I don't see too many churches with people walking around without body parts. Not that we should, okay? I'm not saying we're going to have an altar here and we're going to deal with sin today, right? But the illustration is there. Jesus is saying this is a serious matter. This isn't a small thing. This is serious and it's going to cost you. It's going to feel like your hand's being cut off to deal with the sin in your life. It's going to feel like you're losing parts of yourself if you let me come in and start cleaning things up. It's going to feel like you're becoming a different person. Exactly. You're becoming like me. And if you become like Christ, he promised that you will be treated like him. You'll be treated like him on this earth, and you'll be treated like him for eternity in glory with him. You'll be treated like a son and a daughter. He goes on and he says this. In Galatians 5.22, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control means we participate in it. Against such things there is no law. In other words, we can do as much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control as we want to do. You can do as much as you want to do. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. He says, be careful. Check your heart of why you're doing what you're doing. And I love this because are you ready? Growth, and I've said this numerous times in our church, growth is a natural byproduct. A natural byproduct of just doing the right things. It is. It's just a natural byproduct of putting yourself in a position where you let God do the right things through you. That you go to his word and say, I want to do what you want me to do. Help me to do it. Show me what it is. And I'll, whatever the cost, I'll do it. That, you just naturally grow from that. From just listening and obeying. It's the same way when you do exercise. We were talking in our small group. We're talking about exercise, and someone was talking about hiring a personal trainer. And, and that's always, I've always kind of laughed at that. Like, you, you hire a, what's the point of a personal trainer? To tell you what to do, because you know you won't do it if you don't pay him. <laughs> like, like, 
You pay him to call you. Where are you? You're supposed to be here. You, you pay him to like, you get in there and he's going to hurt you. Like, one more, please. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I'm not picking up the bar. Go ahead. Like, and then he's like one finger on it. You can do it. You can, oop, you do it. And you're like, I'm going to kill you when I get this bar up. But you know you need it, so you'll pay them for it. Right? And then when it comes to our spiritual life and growing in the spirit, it's like, no, God, just I'm just going to grow naturally by having Jesus and reading my Bible occasionally. That's gonna, I'm just going to naturally become awesome. There's no other place in creation that says that's the way it works. No other place that you do your life that way and believe it's going to turn out well. And Paul is saying, look, the natural fruit of planting a seed that's dead, watering it, cultivating it, it's growing, allowing the pruner to prune that plant. The natural byproduct of a crop, of growing something, is, are these things. And if you don't see these things growing in your life, you need to check what you planted. What, what are you planting? And listen, it'll show up simply. It'll show up in the simple decisions you make with time and money, relationships. It just shows up. It's very simple. God's made it very simple for us. Now, are there some things that are hard? Yeah, Peter said that a minute ago, didn't he? There's, there are things that are tough to work through. But a lot of times we like to point to the tough things for an excuse instead of looking at the things we can do, right? Like, I don't know what the law is. Well, he says here you can do all these things as much as you want. Go. <laughs> you can have as much joy today as you want. As much joy as you want today. You can have it. You, you can just by faith say, God, I'm going to have joy today. My finger's bleeding. It's cut off, but I'm going to have joy. I know I'm going to get a new one. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get a new body, which means I'm going to get a new finger. I'm with you. You can have as much patience today as you want. Like, you can do these things, and you can go to the law and say, what does it look like to be kind? Because if you say, for example, that, well, this is what loving looks like, and it doesn't involve punishment, then you just said that God in the entire Old Testament was wrong. Because God brought punishment and discipline on his people because he loved them. He didn't like stop doing love to go get them. In his character, he so loved them, he didn't have another option. He goes on, he says this as we wrap up. Therefore, dear friends, that's us. That's you. It's me, that's the body of Christ in the world. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, listen, you, you know what's gonna happen. Jesus has laid this out. John's talked about it. Paul's talked about it. I've, man, you, you can't, don't be twisted. Don't, don't let yourself be grabbed by unstable and untaught. He says, since you know this, be on your guard. Don't let your guard down. Be, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your stability. Listen, he's writing, talking about grace and peace. And as he finishes letter, he says, you're going to be able to spot people that don't understand grace and peace because they don't know the law. They don't want the law. They don't understand how grace and law work together. And you need to look at that and say, be on your guard when you see that. Because that's a scary, scary thing. He goes on and he says, but grow in the grace 
and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge that there is a master, there is a being, there is a Lord who's over all. He is the Savior who saves. Again, Jesus' name means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. That's what Jesus Christ means. He's like, he finishes his book painting a picture of the entire Old Testament and all the New Testament to Revelation. He says, the full knowledge, but grow in grace. You better be doing this in grace, because if you're not, you're going to be trapped. And then he says this, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Whose glory are you doing it for? Is it, well, if I do these things, then, then I can get the life I want? Peter's writing to people that are being slaughtered. There's no benefit for them doing any of the things Peter says in the world they live in at this time. None. None. If they obey Paul's writings and their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're going to be ridiculed and they're going to be killed for it. They're not going to be listened to. Right now, Christian persecution, the latest statistics, Christian persecution around the world is at an all-time high. All-time high probably since the first century around the world right now, people are, are saying. People that track it are saying it's on, it, it is, it is at, at its height. There were 900, I think it was 900 churches destroyed. 900 churches in one country in Africa over the last several months. And no one says boo about it. You want to know why? Remember what Jesus said? He said, my people are going to be raised up on crosses and the world's going to ignore it. News media is not going to talk about it. That's not what's going to be in the news because... If they talk about it, it causes them to have to think about these things that Peter wrote and reflect in their own lives. And our enemy doesn't want us to do that. And he says to place our hope in him and we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering the atrocities they suffer. Should we fight? Absolutely. We should do everything we can to bring God's kingdom to earth, to bring righteousness into the land that we live. But be careful of your expectations in doing it. Peter's writing. Ephesians 2.8 says this, for you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not your works that save you. It's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. It's both and. It's both and. Not either or. And God wants us to love his laws, to understand his laws, to thank him for them. The ones that we don't do say, thank you that you're already doing it for me. You took care of it. Thanks that I don't have to sacrifice a lamb today because you're the lamb. Thank you. Thank you that, that I'm free to, to eat things that I wasn't free to eat before because you've revealed knowledge we haven't had. Thank you. And that was a good law back then. You tried to protect your people and love them. But it's so easy for the world to say, see, that's a dumb law. That's a dumb law. That's stupid. God, versus saying, wait, what? I believe God was wise. He cared. And you are saved, not by your effort, not by your works. You're saved by grace, or by grace through faith. God's unmerited favor that he gave, and we respond to it. 
and we say, I didn't do anything, Jesus, you did it all. And then we look at that and say, Jesus, the reality is I'm not going to be able to do it unless you do it. And I've got to surrender and keep dying every day to let you do it through me. I have to. And the second that I become conceited and I, I get on my throne and my high horse, it, I'm done. And you're gracious enough to remind me. So let me ask you, how are you going to grow in grace? The first step in growth is being willing to be planted. Jesus said if a seed doesn't go into the ground and die, it can't bring life. So the first step is you've got to be willing to let God bury you. Bury your sin, your sinful nature, and say, if you haven't already, God, I'm yours. And then you have to allow him to water and cultivate and, and to care for your soul so that you can grow and prune and do the things that he needs to do in your life and participate in that for the rest of your life. And know that there is a time coming and God is preparing you that in all the little choices that you make, all the decisions, they're worth it. They're worth it. Because there's something awaiting us that's amazing. And that we can make these decisions because we have confidence that it's not me, it's him. And then I can look and say, okay, God, I'm ready to work today. I'm yours. I have your spirit. I have your grace. I have no excuse. I just, I just want to do what you want me to do today. And when I, when I see the spots and blemishes, I know, I know you'll clean it up. I know you'll soak it. You'll clean it up. And I also know that even if you can't clean it and I have to live with it the rest of my life, I get new clothes someday when I get to heaven and I'm clothed in it. See, that's the gospel.